Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Yes, sir. Reading you loud and clear. 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 The clock has started. The clock has started. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. By sharing our collective expertise, we will show you how to harness, control, and use your own skill set to achieve ultimate success and live the life you want. And now, please welcome your host. Thank you, Erica. Well, welcome everyone. Good afternoon. As Erica said, my name is Heather Kissick um, from Kissick and DeShane HR Consulting. We provide um, a wealth of HR consulting from talent acquisition, training and development, compliance, employee relations, and things of that nature. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have the other panelists introduce themselves. So, David, let's start with you. Sure. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is David Stonger. I'm a consulting psychologist. So what this means is I consult with you and your business to make tailored solutions for human problems. So I do individual coaching, I do team building, team fixing, uh, I do organizational culture shifts, uh, I can do job assessment, anything of, of that nature. Uh, I'd love to work with you and I'd love to, to talk to you further. I'm Heather Henniger. I'm with Mentally Strong and the Mentally Strong Academy. Mentally Strong is an outpatient mental health clinic here in Colorado Springs. We have about 5,000 patients at this time. We accept most major insurances. We use a unique medical model in which we have nurse practitioners come in and do med management at the same time as counseling which we have found very beneficial for our patients. And then the Mentally Strong Academy is where we focus on education and training to include uh, teaching people how to utilize the Mentally Strong Method, which is a cognitive behavioral therapy. And we're also partnering up with different organizations to help build the culture in their companies, especially as we're dealing with a really severe uh, mental health crisis for families and for individuals. And my name is Kara DeShane. Um, as Heather mentioned, she and I are partners with Kissick and DeShane HR Consulting. And as again, as Heather mentioned, we provide HR um, consulting services for businesses. And um, we run the gamut with our consulting services from employee relations to talent acquisition services, leadership development, coaching, um, you name it, we will provide it for HR services. So. We're here to serve all kinds of businesses. Thank you. So as you all know, we're here to talk about how organizational or company culture has been impacted or changed um, during the pandemic when we all sort of went work from home for a while and, and we're transitioning back and some are hybrid, some are still work from home, some are trying to go back into the office full time. So 
Before we get started, I thought it would be good to, to define what is organizational culture, what is culture, and how does it differ from climate? So David, do you mind taking that? Sure. So first of all, I want to give a plug for what I think is an excellent book in this area uh, by Ed Shine. It's Organizational Culture and Leadership. So if you haven't heard of his work, uh, he was trained as a social psychologist, but did consulting in, in the culture arena for decades. So if you're interested for further reading, I highly recommend that. Um, so what I'm going to say first is culture is the set of agreed upon beliefs, assumptions, and group behaviors that become the standard, whether that's explicit or implicit, for future actions. This can include values, rituals, norms, rules, uh, shared meanings, facets of group identity. Um, culture is a huge umbrella under which a lot of things can operate. And so to really define it well, it can kind of become a grab bag of is this culture, is this not? So I want to kind of put that out there, agreed upon beliefs, assumptions, and behaviors as just kind of a general framework. Um, I want to differentiate that from climate. Um, climate is the day-to-day -day awareness of those ideas and actions by the individuals within that group or organization. Um, Shine also kind of says that climate is the feeling that's conveyed in a group by the physical layout and the way in which members of an organization interact with each other, customers, and other outsiders. Now, this was written in 2017, so physical layout is an artifact of the time. Obviously, as we move to hybrid work from home, everything else like that, you know, it's evolving just like everything else is. So, as I would kind of define the difference between culture versus climate, I would use um, a weather analogy. So climate in weather, obviously, is the broad description of how multiple conditions are aggregated in one area over a long period of time. And weather, as we all know, is just the immediate daily experience of that. Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it going to rain? Et cetera, et cetera. Now, understanding climate is also an aggregation of weather. So you can say, well, you know, it's going to be hot today. It's going to rain today. It's going to be nice today. But as soon as you start looking at, well, what's the summer going to be like? You know, here in Colorado, what, what's the snowpack? Are we going to have a drought? What is that going to look like? And all of a sudden, you're starting to get into things that are longer and longer term, and that get into climate, right? So in this analogy, climate is culture. The day-to-day, -day, yep, that's, what, that's, what you're, that's what's going to be the weather of what you're going to deal with. So I want you to kind of think about the difference between culture and climate in that way. One's day-to-day -day and one's the overview and kind of the broad long-term of what you're dealing with. Great, thank you. So when thinking about organizational culture as David has just defined it um, and the way that maybe it has been impacted by remote work, work from home, especially in those organizations that were primarily office-centric before the pandemic. Um, how, Kara, in what ways have you seen organizational culture change in light of work from home and remote work? So I think that what we're seeing is that employees are now kind of looking at their employers to um, respond to their needs. And if employers are not willing to respond, you're seeing employees leave. And that's what you're seeing, the great resignation, uh, right? We've all seen that in the news and we've all seen, um, you know, the, on the Today Show and on CNN and on, on the nightly news that em employees are leaving in droves and they're doing it because their employers are not meeting their needs and they're, 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 
they're kind of saying to their employers, hey, you meet my needs or I'm going to leave. Um, and I'm going to leave because there are jobs out there and I, I can go get another job. And so employers need to now be nimble and need to respond if we want to keep our employees and keep them happy. We need to now listen to what our employees want. And so if you have an environment where you can offer more flexibility, now is the time to look at that and say, we need to respond to that. So it might be a time to survey your employees and find out what is important to your employees. What benefits do they want? It, do they want to have more time off? Do they want to have a flexible working environment? What benefits do you need to offer to your employees? What do they value the most? Do they want to have a hybrid working environment? Do they want to work from home? Do they want to, um, you know, do they want to come into the office? Because not all employees want to work from home. Some of them want to come into an office. So I think, you know, sometimes we assume that everybody went home during COVID and now everybody wants to work from home, but that's not the case. We have, um, you know, extroverted employees that still want to come back to an office. So now is a good time to survey your employees and find out what is important to them. What you're seeing, you know, sometimes in benefit offerings is you're seeing a lot of employers are offering unlimited paid time off. That's a very popular benefit offering now. And a lot of employers, when, when, we, when Heather and I have talked to them, they're scared to offer that. They're like, oh my gosh, unlimited paid time off? Are you kidding me? I can't have an employee have unlimited paid time off. But their research tells us employees don't take more than three weeks off. They don't actually take unlimited paid time off. And guess what? If you train your managers correctly, you, you train them to have the conversations and, and manage your the employees' time off. You, it's all about just managing your managing those conversations so that employees don't go and take advantage of it and take 17 weeks off. So unlimited paid time off is really a psychological game. It's it's like saying, hey, you can have unlimited unlimited time off. And in my mind, as an employee, I'm like, wow, my company trusts me. I can have unlimited time off. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, your employees, they don't take unlimited time off. They end up taking a responsible amount of time off and it ends up creating this really nice trust balance with your employees. And you end up creating this loyalty with your employees. And so really what, what we need to do as employers is, is, is find out what do our employees value and we need to start responding to that and offering that. And then, and then we will retain those people instead of having them go out, resign, go to where they think the grass is greener. And probably that grass isn't greener. And then they end up coming back to us. And what ends up happening is that turnover is really costly. And that just creates a vicious cycle. So what, what we need to do is start responding to what our employees want so that they're not walking out the door. That's great advice. We have seen an uptick in um, our clients. You know, we all know what exit interviews are. We, we interview people on their way out the door to, de to determine what issues they had or problems they had, but we're seeing an uptick in stay interviews. You know, interview 
your employees? Why, why, do you, why are you staying here? What do you value about working here? What could we change? And so that's a really great idea. So Heather, um, Karen mentioned the great resignation that's on everyone's mind. Can you talk a little bit about um, the challenges that organizations are facing um, in light of the great resignation? Yep, absolutely. So definitely we're seeing issues with retention. Does anybody, is anybody experiencing that? And then getting new people to come in. I know personally in our clinic, that's a challenge, say maybe for a reception. People will send in their resumes, will schedule interviews, and then they won't even come in for the interview. Uh, and unfortunately, we've seen an uptick in that, which is frustrating, especially for a small business when we're trying to get those positions filled so that we can better serve our customers. Uh, so definitely, that's a challenge. I think for small companies particular, particularly is trying to keep up with those larger organizations that have more money. Um, one of the things that I hear is, wow, I get a huge signing bonus with these people, or they're going to offer me $20 to flip burgers. And that's very difficult for companies to kind of step into. Um, and I don't know if that's even really necessary because what we're learning is really what people are wanting is to have more purpose in their life and to be acknowledged by their employer um, and have potential and possibilities with their current employer. Um, I think sometimes what I'm seeing is organizations that just are resistant to the change in the environment. They, don't, they just want it all to go back the way it was and that's not gonna happen. So stopping step back and reevaluating and really coming up with a different game plan I think is important. Um, checking in with employees is kind of a not new thing, but I think it's something that's been missed in a lot of companies. I think we just took it for granted. Well, if they want to work, they're going to work, and we'll pay them, and they'll be happy. And again, that's definitely changing. Uh, I was thinking of something else. What are a couple of other things that you're seeing, Kara? Um, I think, like you said, you know, just checking in with employees is is really critical. And I think um, one thing that you and I were talking about right before this conversation started um, is just really, you know, um, communicating to communicating those benefits um, out to the masses is really, really important. And if you are, um, if you have some unique benefits, then when you're posting your jobs right. to make sure that you're communicating those things. Um, one of the things that you were just talking about just made me think, um, if you're investing in career growth or if you have a, a really dynamic professional um, development um, program in your organization or if you, in, um, you know, are, are an employer that provides tuition assistance, those are the things that you should be highlighting in the job posting and they should be highlighted maybe even above the actual job description itself mm -hmm. because employees they're looking for those things now and so they they and because they have so many choices they want to know what you know what what is in this job for me and and you know they are looking for those jobs that are that are um, passion focused but they also want to look for jobs where where am I going to grow and where am I going to be where's an organization going to invest in me 
And so if there are opportunities for professional growth, if there's opportunities for professional development, highlight those things in your job descriptions and put them at the top of your job descriptions because employees and job seekers want to see those things. Those are very important to them. Um, so I think right. that th that was a great point to make. Yeah. And I think too, um, especially some of the younger employees, they're really looking for organizations that match some of their morals and values. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important for organizations to like really dig deep and identify what their values are outside of just the mission. Like, what do we want to stand for? What do we represent? And what are we looking for in an ideal employee mm -hmm. that fits the work that we're doing? So I think just digging a little bit deeper is something that, um, can be challenging and difficult for companies, but I think it's certainly something that's necessary. Did you have anything? I think I could kind of play devil's advocate a little bit. You know, it, the idea of, well, they're not gonna take 17 weeks of leave, that would be horrible. Why? Why is that horrible? And I think asking that question is an important one. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that trigger as a business owner, as someone that is trying to grow the business that is trying to retain employees? Well, if they can be an outstanding performer for 35 or 36 weeks, you know, what is it about 17 weeks of leave that is so terrible? If they want to go travel the world, but they're super productive, more productive than they necessarily would be sitting in a cubicle for 52 weeks a year, why not? And that's the kind of question that I think, you know, hopefully this kind of chamber is um, creating because things aren't gonna go back to normal, right? It's not gonna go back to that, yep, you're 50 weeks, here's your two weeks off, you know, we gotta schedule everything around it, come in, punch in, the end, you know? I mean, I, I agree with, with all this stuff in terms of finding value and finding meaning. And so looking at this a little bit differently, is that something that my company can do? Is that something that my business can afford to do? You know, what would that look like in the future? So I think that's something to really kind of, that I would love to be able to plant, see more businesses do. Um, is why not that model? I would challenge you back though. I'm gonna raise you one. <laughs> and I'm gonna say 17 weeks, I would look at it and say 17 weeks would be too much because then you have the employee in the wrong position. And maybe we need to move that employee up. And maybe we need to challenge them even more. Are they in too low level of a position? And maybe we need to challenge them even more and, and grow them even more and can we, can we get more out of that employee and challenge them even more and put them at a higher level? Because if, they're, if they truly can take 17 weeks off, yeah, maybe they're getting everything done and maybe they're really productive at that level, but maybe that level's too low. So maybe, maybe they need to be at a higher level and producing at a higher level and we can grow them even further. I'll re-raise you. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to be in the middle here. <laughs> so why is it that being more productive or being more always equates to more time, right? Is it something mm -hmm. that if we continue to promote, then we'll have them at a certain level until they are here for 50 weeks with two weeks off, right? Is that the model that we necessarily want to go to? Like the more challenge, the more time. Like do we need to equate time mm -hmm. with kind of productivity and that level of we'll keep promoting until you fit this model? Is I mean, is that what we want to do? I don't know, I'm not, I'm not saying yes, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here mm -hmm. as a way to kind of think about this as a broader mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fantastic question. So, so let me ask the panel, um, 
in what ways, we talked a little bit about the challenges that employers are facing. Um, what do you see that they're getting right? What are successful companies doing to um, meet the needs of the current workforce? To they're, they're making the right decisions and they're transitioning healthily um, to ensure organizational success. So what well, have you seen in that area? I think the companies that are doing it right is really reframing this as an opportunity, mm -hmm. an opportunity to improve their company, an, op an opportunity to improve their culture and their climate. Um, and again, they kind of have to dig deep and really identify what that is for them. I think also um, working to be flexible, and this is where I get a little frustrated because we are a small business and I'm only going to be so flexible, right? Mm -hmm. Because it seems like, and I'm not trying to get on my soapbox, but it seems like some of these new employees want us to give them everything. Yeah. And I don't appreciate that. And again, so I think that's that provides us that opportunity to step back and evaluate what is our ideal employee, what is their why, and how can we help them fulfill that why working with our company. I think other things, so I was talking to a friend of mine today who's over in the UK and he works for ISG and they do the iTime, which is you know being able to go. So they took away all vacation time for their employees and they set very clear parameters. These are the expectations, and if you don't meet these expectations, then we can go back to the traditional model. But so far, it's been very, very successful for them. I think another thing, especially in our field, you know, I've been working with people throughout the pandemic. We were very unique in that we never closed our offices. We had patients coming in. And so I heard the good, the bad, and the ugly from everybody that had the traditional workplace environment. And one of the things we definitely know is that there has been a significant increase in anxiety and depression for all of these employees. You know, we really blurred the lines between work and life. We had our bosses coming into our homes on Zoom and our, our you know, they're seeing our house, they're hearing the kids cry in the background or the dogs barking. And, and that has been a big challenge for a lot of people. And so I think it's what the, the companies that are doing really well, Ent, for example, is a phenomenal organization. And they have, they have EAPs, they have wellness programs, they have a lot of different things that they offer their employees, and they're always checking in with them. Um, and right now they're in the process of looking at how to gauge the success in a lot of the wellness programs that they've offered. Again, being flexible, but as employers, we can't do everything. As small employers, we really can't do everything. So I think another thing that might be beneficial is setting expectations up front. Because what I've seen happen in our organization is we bring these people in and we think we're up front and then they start asking for more and more and more. And then if we have un unhappy people, then that's of course going to affect morale. And when you lose somebody, the cost to find new employees and train them, and then you know, how do you calculate the loss of knowledge when you lose a good employee? So we talked a little bit about the challenges and the, what successful organizations are doing. Kara, can you talk a little bit about what mistakes are you seeing employers make um, when it comes to this culture and remote work? Mm -hmm. One of the things that has been challenging um, that you know, we've seen and that we've we've counseled um, some of our clients on is the 
the hiring process is moving so fast right now and our clients are struggling to move fast um, because it's and, and it and really especially with a small business a lot of times the the people that we're working with whether it's a ceo directly or a um you know working with a hiring manager within the organization there a lot of the people that we're directly talking to are wearing a lot of hats and in wearing a lot of hats you're pulled in a lot of directions and so hiring that new employee is just one of the tasks that you have while you're doing a hundred thousand other things and so um, the some of the frank conversations that we've had um, have been centered around once we start this process this train is going to start this train is going to get going and we're not going to be able to stop it and we're telling you this because we want to get the best candidate for you and these candidates come in and they come in like rapid fire and we don't want to lose them and we will lose them and so when we push post on this job post we want you to get on this train with us and we we don't want you to fall behind and what and we've actually lost candidates because the ceo or the hiring manager isn't available to be on the train with us and so we've had to go back and say remember how we told you you have to be available this is what we were talking about and so it's it's really that talent acquisition right now is going ahead full-fledged and so a candidate that's available today is not available tomorrow they, if you want to interview them today and you schedule that interview you have got to be available and so it and you've got to be willing to move on those candidates really quickly especially in the entry level to mid-level categories in the executive level it's a little bit you can you can wait a little bit longer but they're still moving really quickly and so in that entry to mid-level candidates are going really fast and so you cannot take the time to hang out like you could previously you can't be you, you just can't candidates are moving really fast and so if you wanted to do three four five rounds of interviews before you've got to condense it You've got to be able to move really fast. You've got to be nimble today because these candidates are moving really quickly. And you have to move quite fast now if you want to stay up and get them. And with a small business, you want to be competitive and, and the things that we're talking about, but we've got to move. Once we start that train, you've got to move that move along with it and make the decisions fast. So you really have to be prepared before you even post. Yes. Yeah, all the ducks in a row. Gotcha. All the ducks in a like like I said. Be prepared, and once we push post, with like with Heather and I, um, I have had many conversations where I've said, once I start screening your candidates, and when I give you a candidate to go, I've already screened them, and I've I've determined that they're qualified for the job, and when I put them in front of you, let's go. If you if you like them and you're ready, let's go, because I'm going to put them in front of you, and then if you like them, we've got to move on that person because if you don't move on that person, they're done and they're gone. And it's happened a handful of times. And, and like I said, I'm not afraid to go back and say, remember we had that conversation. So you've got talent acquisition is just moving super fast. Yeah. I think another mistake that I've seen 
employers make is assuming that if you were primarily office centric before the pandemic, that you're gonna go back to that. And Heather, I think you touched on this earlier. Um, is that really what your workforce wants? And, and are you driving people away by trying to get them back into the office and rethinking the way we work, I think is critical versus, you know, we hear about the new normal and things like that. And that's true. Things aren't gonna go back to the way they were pre 2020. Um, and so making that mistake and assuming we're gonna get everybody back into the office and it'll be like, like it was is um, another um, mistake in, in which employers are making. Um, other thoughts around that, David, Heather? I mean, I, I would say I think it's really important to, to get honest feedback from your employees. What do they want? And then when they tell you, listen, you know, if, now granted, getting to that honesty can, can kind of take some layers, especially if there are trust issues or kind of the method of gathering the data, but they'll tell you, this is what I need, this is what I'm looking for, and here's why. And I think it's important to be open to the answers, even if at first it seems like, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd say. Mm -hmm. So what are two to three practical ideas that this group can take away from this panel? David, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, I would say, and, and I, I just brought it up, listen to your employees, really ask them what they truly want. And if you ask them in an open way, in a way that says, look, I'm not trying to track anything down. I'm not, you know, we're, we're not trying to, there's no whammy here, right? We just genuinely want to gather information so we know where we are. And I think once they tell you, and once they finally say, well, you know, I, I've really kind of thought about this for a while, but here's what I want to tell you. Then take that in, take that in as genuine and think about how you can move forward with that. Wow, there's a couple of things. One, I think it's important to train managers. A lot of times we promote people who do work well and make them into managers without teaching them how to lead and how to manage people. And I think that's really important, especially as the environment is changing. And I think if organizations want to improve their culture and improve their employee retention, there has to be a solid plan and it has to start at the top. Because employees know when something's just given lip service and nobody really cares. And they're more savvy now today than they were. And we have to meet them where they are. And that has to be with respect and understanding. You both just said fantastic things. I think I agree with both of them. Um, and I would, I would echo both of those things. I think listening to your employees, surveying them, um, is absolutely a fantastic job, a fantastic idea. And I think listening, uh, I think training your managers, I mean, all of the research says employees don't leave jobs, they leave bad managers. Um, and so I think always investing in leadership training um, and manager training is, is always a great idea. And then I would echo something that I said um, at the beginning, which is just looking at and you'll get it from listening to your employees looking at you know what type of benefits that you're offering to your employees and what type of working environment you're you're offering to your employees and is it meeting the current needs of your employees and what they want and um, you know if it's not in what ways could you offer an environment that does meet those employees needs and wants 
And I want to reiterate what Heather said about training your supervisors and your managers. I think one of the biggest struggles and challenges that um, I saw at the beginning of the pandemic when um, a lot of companies went remote is that managers didn't know how to lead remotely. Uh, they didn't know how to set expectations for work from home. Um, I saw the gamut of micromanaging, you know, tell, log all your time and tell me what you're doing to totally hands off. Um, if they're getting their job done, I, I don't need to touch base with them. And so what does that look like now? What does it look like to lead from, you know, different states or it, globalization is, is this is not new. This has not been. Um, this has been done before. But but how can we um, help our supervisors and our managers and our leaders succeed in managing people when their people are all over the place? So um, I think that's key as well. So thank you, panelists. This was great. Want to open it up for audience questions? And Eric, I don't know if we've got virtual questions or not. None were submitted when I sent out that okay. email, so yeah. Okay. Great. I, I mean, one of the things after it was just Jane and I were talking about was it, the potential for like a post-event survey, which I was saying I could include yeah. um, in the email to go out after, so we Perfect. could always touch base on that. But yeah. hopefully it'll be. What do you say? Oh, she's doing it. Okay. Uh, Chelsea. <laughs> I think it's industry specific. To a certain point, um, you know, not everything can be done remotely, and um, I don't know how how many organizations. I think a lot of organizations at the beginning were just trying to keep up with all of the changes. So I don't know how much data has been collected. I know that there's been some. I was just reading something yesterday from the New York Times that was saying that, um, and the article was specifically focusing on um, flexible schedules, and so not only looking at remote work. Um, so allowing allowing employees to work from home, but also allowing them to work from uh, a flexible schedule. So not just the eight to six, like working in an eight to six window, but working at, during a time that makes sense for their life. Um, and so uh, what it was saying about that was productivity was actually increased um, greatly, but that we have to be careful. We have to be careful about burnout too. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, from the pandemic, I think we needed to be careful because we had a, a large, we, we had everyone, <laughs> not everyone, um, because <laughs> like Heather was saying, um, you know, her office continued to work. And there were a lot of offices, right? The medical profession <laughs> um, continued to work throughout the pandemic in their current offices. But a lot of people transitioned to a work from home model that weren't working. And so all of a sudden you had people who were um, going into an office now just walking downstairs. And so now all of a sudden they were walking downstairs to their home office and you had those lines blurred that were never blurred before. And so they were, they were, had access to work at all hours of the day and pressure maybe from, like you were saying, bosses that were seeing into your house and everything. And so you had all these pressures. And so now the pandemic brought in this burnout. Um, so I think, you know, just having to be cognizant that burnout could be there and everything. Um, so I think, you know, I think it goes back to 
looking at what makes sense for the employee, what makes sense for the different jobs, because not all jobs can be done remotely. Not all employees thrive remotely. So I think, you know, again, it goes back to surveying your employees and what they want, what makes sense for the job and trying to find a happy medium. And, and I'm, I'm going to go back and say that's where you kind of need to take a critical look at your each of your businesses and say what makes sense for this specific business and this specific role and these employees. I think in general there was this exaggerated fear when we all started working from home that productivity would decline and nobody would be getting the job done and and we did not see in general we didn't see that happen um, there might be some cases here and there where productivity declined but um, just sort of on a whole that didn't happen mm -hmm. so, so if I may what are you basing that on by your own declaration this is new territory right a lot of a lot of recent changes in the last couple of years but yet we've got Heather saying that you know most research stuff? I mean, an article you read by some writer from somewhere, and uh, it seems to me the most profound thing discussed here was the surveying of the employees and getting their real-time feedback right now on what to do. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I would say, you know, there's been a lot of research done during the pandemic about productivity, but it, and we're being sort of elusive here because it varies by industry, it varies by um, so, you know, company size and things like that. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the sweeping statements we're making are coming from articles we've read in the HR field and things like that, the psychology field. Um, in recent history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Um, I, I really agree with you guys on your focus on culture and climate and everything, because I, I think employees will come to us I, that's a great question. I think you have to be really, um, I think you have to be really intentional about team building because um, it's really easy when you're sitting at home to kind of get in your own swing of things and to be siloed, right? Because you can just sit at home and be on your computer and not reach out to make to uh, form connections, and so. I think um, you know you have to be even more intentional about uh, scheduling those team meetings, scheduling those team building things. Um, some of the some of the recommendations that we've made and that we've seen form those teams and form those team building, those team bonds are to you know do the same things that you would do in an office environment. You know, in an office environment, you might have a team lunch. So it's difficult to do a team lunch, but why not send everybody a DoorDash 
um, gift card and say, okay, everyone, use your DoorDash at 11.15 and then have your lunch delivered at 12. And then we're all gonna log on Zoom and eat our DoorDash um, together at 12. And we're gonna have a virtual lunch together. And we're just going to, you know, go around and, um, you know, someone's gonna take control of the lunch and we're gonna talk about what we did over the weekend. Or, you know, we're gonna have an informal lunch or we're gonna do a happy hour and I'm, someone's going to send like the contents of what a charcuterie board would be. And so it, you have to do, it, it takes a little bit more work because you can't just show up to the local, um, you know, if every, maybe, again, the charcuterie board might be if people are geographically in different places. So maybe if everybody's in Colorado Springs, you can intentionally show up to the same place. Um, but it takes a little bit more intentional planning, but you have to intentionally still take time to do those team building things virtually. And and what I have found is for my own self, I, I can be a little bit of an introvert. And so those things feel like they're a pain in the neck at times. And I like they show up on my calendar and I'm like, I really don't wanna do this because I'd really rather just do my work but they end up being really beneficial because you still forge those bonds with people. You just have to intentionally do them. And I think it gets easier to implement those things when we have the buy-in from the employees mm -hmm. where they feel respected and acknowledged and heard. Mm -hmm. Then they're more likely to kind of participate in things like that. But I also think finding opportunities where people can come together in person is important when it's possible because even the introverts, and I actually am an introvert as well, mm -hmm. you know, humans are designed for connection and the Zoom just isn't doing it for everybody. Mm -hmm. So if there are those opportunities where you can bring people together, I, I think that that's a great thing to do. Mm -hmm. And and maybe, maybe it's fewer meetings, right? Maybe it's mm -hmm. less Zoom because people get Zoom fatigue. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's scheduling time to do one-to-ones with the entire team, right? Getting that information so that you get to know your particular team, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and how each one is feeling. So yeah, maybe it's a monthly Zoom, maybe it's not. Maybe it's an in-person, maybe it's scheduled, five, 10, 15 minute check-in. So I would say being flexible and adapting who you have on your team and what their needs are into the greater organizational whole might be the best teamwork. teamwork. Well, it's a small question. It's very easy. We can just tick that off really easily, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's in my pocket. <laughs> I, 
I can. I think I can speak to that. I would say one of the things to think about is be open to change that you can't completely control. And I know that sounds like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute there, right? You can work on intentionally driving change, but there's always going to be unexpected consequences, right? And culture exists whether you call it that or not, right? And it always has existed. And so getting to that understanding of, hey, what did it used to be? What is it now? And what do I want it to be? Okay, how can I get there? And so the first, say, three steps that you take might not get you what you want or what you think you want and results in something else. That's okay. Being okay with that change and working on accepting that we're nudging this in the right direction, you know, successive approximations, that's going to get you so much farther than saying we're doing this and this is how it's going to go because who knows how that's going to go. So that's what I would say. Just be open to change that you can't entirely control, but work on driving where you want to go. Uh, just some comments, guys. So I, um, I'm Nate from Moser. For those of you guys don't know me, I, I work at a company called Quantum Research International. We're a DoD firm here, R&D. So a lot of what you guys are saying sounds great, but can't be done in a DoD world. Or it's going to be extremely behind. Um, obviously, DoD customers expect you to be available eight to six. That's what it is. They don't. They don't want to try to have a meeting at nine p.m. at night because GS employees aren't working at nine p.m. at night. I guarantee it. Um, but what I was going to say is that I actually built a software factory in the middle of the pandemic um, based around an intentional culture. Now, it was much easier because I was starting from scratch. I literally developed an entire branch of the company. What I found, though, as, as an employer, I need to be able to just let people go, too. Um, mm -hmm. Be 100% open and honest to your employees. I don't have interviews. I have conversations with people. If you're coming in to me, I've already vetted you. I already know your LinkedIn profile. I've talked to people that you know. I know a lot about you already. You're on the you're on the internet. So if you get a chance to come in for a conversation with me, it's not just with me, it's with the team. And I've had people sit as short as an hour or stay there for an entire day, literally with my employees. Um, but it is a requirement, and it has been the entire time, even during um, the pandemic, is we are 100% in person. We do not allow it to be remote because I cannot build a culture remote to the, the, what I'm looking for that family feel. So what we've done on the, on the opposite side is things like, you want to bring your dog into work? Bring your dog into work. You want to bring your two-month-old baby into work? Bring your two-month-old baby. So things like that, and that engages everybody to actually be part of that team. So for example, we have, we've had four new puppies in the past six months. Um, usually it's never the owner that takes a puppy out, right? It's somebody else, hey, it's my turn, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's that thing that they're like, well, okay. So we didn't get eight hours in today, so we're gonna stay late now. So like every Thursday night, I got an entire software factory staying late to play Dungeons and Dragons, okay? I've got a popcorn machine there, I've got beer in the fridge, you just have at it, right? So things like that, I, I think uh, is what we've done to think outside the box. Um, but we, we have put on a rule saying you have to be in person. Now, if the world has another pandemic, we have the capability, of course. Um, but even those people that are working remote because they got a sick kid or something like that, they absolutely hate it because they cannot, they're like, what did I miss? What did I miss around the waterfall? What did I miss at the kitchen? Well, you know, you brought in three three CEOs while I was gone. What did they talk about, right? So it's those things that mm -hmm. you're still missing out. As, as you said, Heather, it's it's we're still human. Yeah. So that human interaction. I'm feared that if we keep going to the well, I'll let you work whenever, wherever, however you want. Right. You're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be to our detriment. 
And, and I actually agree with that. And part of it is there is a skill uh, in managing other people's energy, right? But that's how we protect ourselves is by figuring it out. If you're around somebody with big energy, that's just like, whoo, and they suck you dry, right? But when people are at home, and I see this with kids where parents are like, oh, my child is stressed, they can't handle school, so I'm gonna homeschool them. What we see is they have a harder time integrating back into public. And so, yes, definitely we'll see an increase in anxiety and trying to get back out there yeah, and so be I, around people, you know, so finding that balance. By saying, just something to let people go. I've literally had people say, well, I wanna work remote full time. And I'm like, sorry, you can't, right? I mean, right. I, I, I am, that's great about you, um, but you know, during our conversation six months ago, I told you during that first day you showed up that we are in person. Here's why, here's the yes. culture, here's what we're trying to do. Um, so I've literally in the past nine months, I've probably had three people that have said the same thing. I just, I really wanna work out my van down by the river. Okay, there's lots of other jobs out there. This yeah. is a no fault state, you, you know, at will, you can, you can go. And usually it'll take bathroom, like what, what, you're gonna let me go? I'm like, no, I'm gonna let you make your own choice, but right. the choice is either you come into work and hang out with everybody and be part of the team, or you choose to move on because that's, <laughs> So they self-eliminate usually. Yeah, you free um, them up for their future elsewhere. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hold anybody back, right? right. Um, so going back to the unlimited PTO, um, for those that haven't heard of it, it sounds absolutely amazing from an employee standpoint. Obviously, it only works, you know, depending on industry, position, and those kind of things. But also, um, I've seen struggles with it because of the exact reasons you said. A lot of times, employees a harder time asking for that time off in fear that they take too much time off or there's going to be a conflict with sick time or family first time or you know something that kind of conflicts with that um have you seen any businesses have these same questions on the interview you know saying what what benefit do you want you know we have an option of an unlimited pto or we have an option of a four you know, and are any of these ever also kind of dangled out there as a performance or incentive-based, you know, based on parameters that are discussed in the initial interviews? And just, you know, if you're asking your employees what they want, do you also ask your interviewers or interviewees what, what they want and what meets their lifestyle best? And can businesses be flexible enough to do that? I'll take that. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen, um, I, I think where we get the data, from uh, those who are looking for jobs are through Gallup and companies that are surveying um, current job seekers. So I haven't seen any employers doing an interview, like a stay interview or exit interview type of thing. What do you want as a candidate? Um, I don't know if you all have, mm -hmm. but that's an interesting take. No, and and just from my, I have my HR hat on, um, if you're gonna, offer diverse benefit packages to candidates. You just wanna make sure you're doing it consistently um, without discrimination to certain mm -hmm. groups or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can talk that real quick. So, yeah. Unlimited PTO, it's been around for a long time, especially in the DOD realm. People are playing with it. Really, honestly, for everybody here, it's more of a benefit to the company. As you said, the average person is gonna take two or three weeks anyway. But where the benefit comes into the company is you don't have to pay them out. So you just mm -hmm. took all of that PTO, or that PTO time off books. So 
So if they have been saving up for two years, if you have a policy of saying, hey, you can carry over a year, so now they've got six weeks of leave, and they decide to leave your company, you have to pay that out legally. With unlimited PTO, you don't have to do that because there is no such thing as banking PTO. It's, so that's, that's it's a game. So follow-up on that because I'm in the same industry, you know, the industry. If your employees aren't working, charging, you don't get the rest of them. You, you, you charge their hours. Correct. Unless you're in a permanent price. Most, right most DOD firms I've seen when they uh, institute the uh, unlimited PTO, it'll be either two, two or three weeks to begin with, and then you need to get higher and higher level approval. So say maybe now you need to go to the COO level to get approval for week four or something like that. So it, it's even though it is unlimited PTO, like I said, you, you probably depending on the person, right? If you have somebody that's junior, yeah, they they might decide to take more than that. But if you have a senior person, they're probably and in charge of things, they're probably not going to want to take that time because you know, pretty much anybody here knows you leave on vacation is probably worse than not taking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sure, and, and, and as a veteran and a former GS employee, I understand that there are obviously going to be some restrictions to kind of what that is. And so, yeah, sure, sometimes it's going to be, listen, there are legal restrictions on what I can offer you and how much we can do because here's the mission and here's what we have to accomplish and things like that. So, yeah, it's obviously going to be industry specific and there are going to be some restrictions on it. Is it something that we could change? Is it something that you can think about? Is it something that you can tinker with so that you are kind of thinking outside the box instead of saying like, here's your vacation time, here's your PTO, this is what you get as a GS, this is what you get as a contractor, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of as food for thought necessarily more than 17 weeks is the new standard, so. Unlimited comp time is a big thing. So um, when I, I've worked DOD 20 plus years, so one of the nice things about unlimited comp time, so instead of unlimited PTO, those employees are still working that time. So they choose to work 80 hours this week instead of 40. They bank that time, and then they, so you can still charge that time, and then they take that time off the next week. So you're not losing revenue, and they're still able to take that time. We have, we have that unlimited. We, we, we cap ours, but we do have that as well. Most people cap it two weeks, and then if you can do a burn down and then do again, over and over again. It's, it's government. Yeah. Talked really about remote work, and one of the things I've noticed I, on the side, I, I do some volunteer work as a coach at one of the schools, is the growth of kids going into online schools. Which, mm -hmm. For me, I, I could have never done that. I mean, I, I, I think the things I learned in school were social skills, but we see that that's growing in different strokes. I get it. Is that something that the HR world is looking at? That so many people are now going remote from an educational standpoint, that's going to feed into the workforce several years down the road? 
I think you're going to see it. I, I mean, I think uh, it's definitely something that, you know, I, I, I mean, I know I've thought about it because you're seeing so many kids now in online school from a K-12 perspective. And then in, I mean, I know that there's a, uh, there's a requirement. I don't know, if, I'm sorry, I came from Florida. I've been in Colorado for a little bit, um, for four years. I know in Florida, there's a requirement that kids take an online, if they're not online full time, they, they have to at least take um, some of their classes online in Florida during their K-12 career. Um, so I don't know if that's the same in Colorado, but and then in college, I know a lot of kids take online classes at, at least at some point in their career if they're not taking all of their um, degree online. And so at at some point, you know, if these kids are digital natives, obviously, and so at some point, you know, it, that does translate. They've grown up in the technology, they've gone to school in the technology, and so. I think the demand is going to be there that they expect part of their job to be online. Now, again, we've been talking about that's not always going to be a possibility, but that is going to be part of their expectation as they start to enter the, the job force. I think we'll also see that play out in terms of, right, that's that's going to be a longitudinal study yeah. um, that has to be done, but we'll, we'll see it play out probably in generational differences so i mean we talk about millennials and entitlement and gen z you know the the aspects of the different generations um, and i think that we'll see the impact of what happened during the pandemic within the education system play out then when those those kids are going to join in the workforce it's interesting probably have time for one more question. okay yeah. <clears throat> Jeff Hawthorne and I work on uh, workplace research, so we, we create workplace environments. This is a very interesting cool. conversation um, for me. I guess I'm wondering at what cost, like we talk about this idea of like, like for so long culture was the thing, like designed and defined culture from top down. That's what's critical. That's what people want to come and work for. That's what causes people to stay. We talk about the leadership piece and now they don't leave organizations, they leave leadership and all that, right? But now we're talking about this idea of employees coming and really their wants and their needs defining and designing what that culture is. Where, like at what cost do we, help me understand that, because that's where I see a lot mm -hmm. of organizations are struggling. Mm -hmm. I need employees. But at what cost? Like, mm -hmm. Do I sacrifice, do I lay on what I've defined and designed as my culture to be this organization so I can just get people in the door? Mm -hmm. I don't think we should, anybody should make hiring decisions out of scarcity or fear. Mm -hmm. Because that always mm -hmm. sets you up for failure. Mm -hmm. You're going to get that one employer like, oh my gosh, and then you're going to have to replace them, yeah. and then it's that whole thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, selection is key. You know, mm -hmm. you have to find the people that are going to work well with within that. You know, whether that's in all in person, and you got to pick those folks, or you know, you, you are trying to find people that are more comfortable with a hybrid, or mm -hmm. you know, the values align. Whatever it might be, finding the right team is critical. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you're the business owner, mm -hmm. so you get to determine what you want your environment to look like. And if you can get employees in, great. If not, you may want to regroup. Thank you. All right. I think, Erica, are we at our, she's my timekeeper. Yeah, I mean, it's 12.30. <laughs>
1256. I mean, I don't know if somebody had one quick question, maybe we One could. more burning question. I just don't want to, I know a couple burning questions. I don't know if it's going to be quick or not. Um, so you alluded to this earlier, but it feels like we have failed a lot of our managers in preparing them to manage people who work remotely. What are some resources maybe that you could direct us to in some direction to help, help them not micromanage it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, there are leadership, there's leadership trainings. I know the Center for Creative Leadership is mm -hmm. here, so that's a great local resource where you can kind of get more information. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes Google can be your best friend. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, there's supervisory training if you're large enough to be able to have an in-house. Um, you have you found anything effective for training remoteness? That's, that's, I think, the issue, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I've had plenty of, you know, CCR and other right. leadership training. I don't, I mean, I think, you know, we would probably just need to take a look at the individual needs and, yeah. I mean, I don't, we would, Heather and I have done some individual diving into a company's needs and then creating a training, um, but I don't have anything off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think maybe doing a, a needs analysis mm -hmm. of your organization when it comes to training yeah. is key. We tend to throw training at, at problems that might not necessarily be effective or efficient for the issue. So really coming in and looking at what, where are we getting it wrong? Where yeah. are supervisors, what, what, where are the pain points for our employees with regards to leadership and how do we correct those? So it's, I think the answer to your question is a lot more personalized than sort of a cookie cutter, yeah. Thank you all so much. This is great. Thanks for listening. You've reached the end of another episode of the Smalls Cast podcast. Connect with us at thesmalls.org. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free materials. See you at the next episode. See you at the next episode.